0: This programme was produced at and first aired on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand on air. Kapai Erarangi Timotu, MPR.
1: Kia ora and welcome to Reserved Recommendations. This is a show about great trash, difficult art, and our complicated relationships with art and culture. My name's Hugh, I'm the host of the show, and I'd like to take this opportunity to put in a very mild content warning for the show as a whole. Sometimes our recommendations on this show are reserved just because the thing that we're discussing is in some way not good, but sometimes there are aspects of the art or artist that may be confronting for some people. Check the episode descriptions for more information and do be aware of your listening environment. This evening it gives me very great pleasure to introduce um, someone who is kind of like I, I trust that this will not put the conversation on a weird, uh, weird footing. But like the the spiritual inspiration for this entire project, um, uh, Shannon Strucci is uh, an internet commentator on various things, and you made a, a video talking about a comic called Feast for a King, um, which. I it inspired me to go and read Feast for a King, and I actually talked to to Cosmic in one of the who's the author in one of the early episodes of this show. Um, but basically, what you said was this is a really cool comic. It does a lot of amazing stuff, but also there's like graphic sex and violence and main characters literally eat other main characters. So I can't just <laughs> say you have to read it. I thought that was mm-hmm. a fascinating recommendation to give for something. So I, I wanted to do that anyway. Welcome. How's it going?
2: I'm very excited to be here. And, um, I'm really glad that that video inspired something. Cause like a lot of this reviews for like smaller stuff that I've done only get a few thousand views, but then people get really excited about it. Like I did one on this band called the teeth and, uh, like that video also has like four or five thousand views but a bunch of people have commented like oh my god you got me into this band it's one of my favorite bands so it makes it it's like very heartwarming and cool to be able to do that or to inspire an entire show for me being like yeah this thing is about alien worms who have sex and eat each other it's not for everybody but it is good
1: but but if it's for you it's gonna be like exactly for you i guess that's kind of the flip side of it you know
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely and that's i mean and that's the stuff i end up it ends up being more meaningful to me anyway. You know, if I'm looking for something, it's like, this isn't for everybody, but it's definitely for me.
1: Now, the the specific thing we're talking about today is, is something that you've kind of talked a bit about on the internet in general, um, which is like the deeply weird world of Lupin the um, mm-hmm. third. So can I, cause I can't remember if this is something I've seen you describe yourself as, or someone else describe you as, but like, I've seen you described as a Lupinologist, essentially. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Can I right, ask well.
1: what like drew you into the series to start with before we get to the specific movie we're talking about?
2: Oh, totally. Um, I'm around thirty, so I was in middle school, elementary school, middle school when Adult Swim started in the U.S. So 2003 is when the Lupin dub started airing, and I was like 12, and I was probably too young to watch it. And it was because it was the part two series there six different parts to the anime and two other anime shows and there's like so much stuff but this was part two from the 70s which is like sex comedy pulpy kind of like darker scooby-doo venture brothers type stuff and i watched it when i was 12 i would um set my vcr to record it overnight and when i woke up at like 7 or 8 a.m before school i would watch it in middle school and i really liked it and i watched Kelly O'stro and momo at that point or at least like when it, in, around 2005, 2006. It was just something I always liked and it influenced how I draw and how I looked at media, but it was over COVID that I had nothing to do and I was going crazy. Um, and I have a full-time job now, but this was before that. So I was just like, I had uh, you know, it was pretty bad and I got really, really into it because um, it's so big and sprawling and weird that it, it, it occupied my time in a healthy way. It was like a healthy coping mechanism when I was stuck inside for a few months. So I just, I always liked it, but I just got kind of obsessed with it over COVID and I got a bunch of my other friends to watch it with me, and I was able to come on a few different podcasts and talk about it. And I did review the newer CGI movie, and I wanted to do a video essay on it, but I don't even know how to approach it. It's so huge. And some other people, like uh, Bread Sword and my friend Delaney, have done interesting video essays on it too. So that space has gotten more occupied, which is cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the comp- the comparison I would make, it would almost be to something like um, James Bond, in the sense mm-hmm. that, like... So many different studios and directors have taken on Lupin the third and all of their takes are quite, I haven't seen any <laughs> of the manga, but my understanding is that they're uh. <laughs> the, again, like James Bond, the, like the James Bond novels, the manga is like significantly meaner and nastier than, mm-hmm. than the um, various anime versions but they're all so different from each other that it's almost like a different character who coincidentally has the same name and a lot of the same traits.
2: It's People try to tie all the different versions together chronologically, and I'm like, good luck. I mean, it's it's more so than even like Batman. You know, you'll have campy stuff and then more... Because, yeah, the manga, it's... um, The manga was heavily influenced by, like, Mad Magazine and, like, European comics of the time. And it's very, it's really disturbing and dark and, like, in a very nihilistic way that's not fun to me to read. Um, And it was also, it was pretty heavily influenced by James Bond, too. Lupin's gun is the Walther P38, which is a Nazi gun. But that's also a gun that James Bond used. So that's still, even now in, like, modern incarnations, they still haven't changed it. It's interesting.
1: Yeah, I I have thoughts about that. Certainly, it's just a minor digression. Have you read the Batman Planetary crossover? I have not. Do you know what Planetary is?
2: I'm
1: not I don't think oh, so. so. I don't know
2: a lot about American comics.
1: Uh, oh, this is this is a British take on American comics. So oh. Planetary is Warren Ellis who did like Transmetropolitan and all of those things. Um did this comic series which is sort of a take on the Fantastic Four kind of, which is called Planetary. Um, but Planetary has a crossover with Batman and the conceit of the Planetary Batman crossover is that the person that they're tracking is someone who's got um, developed a mutant ability to shift between dimensions and doesn't know that that's what they're doing and is essentially having a panic attack and doing that at random. <laughs> but they use that as an excuse to have like, all of the different takes on Batman that he wants to play with because he just shifts into another dimension and suddenly it's Adam West Batman or Frank Miller Batman. Um, Yeah, it's a a cute conceit.
2: That's cool. I like people. There's some backlash to multiverse stuff lately. I think multiverse stuff is cool. And it's interesting when it's well written. I'm not one of the haters on that. I think that kind of stuff can be really fun.
1: I mean, definitely as a way of dealing with things where the history of the property is so long that you have so Mm -hmm. many like radically diverse takes on it. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I like something where a bond where they decided that they were going to do enough wacky sci fi hijinks that they were going to deal with like trying to harmonize Daniel Craig Craig and Roger Moore or something would be, would be fascinating.
2: Lupin. There's a movie called green versus red that sort of tries to do that. It's sort of like a Satoshi Kone movie. It doesn't succeed necessarily, but there is at least it's like all a bunch of different Lupin's fight. And it's like, is it a name or a person? I don't know. It gets really weird, but that, they sort of attempted that too in the two thousands at some point.
1: The other thought that I, uh, that I had just thinking about like, um, uh, Lupin being inspired by Bond is that um, obviously the, the two main Lupin things that I've watched are Cagliostro and Marmo, which, which was the one that we're going to talk about specifically in a second. But yeah, it's you can really see like the 60s Euro spyness of it, like all of the even and even looking at art for more modern versions, they everything still has quite like a 60s look.
2: Yeah. They still have their sideburns (laughs) and the, yeah.
1: And drive little tiny European cars and all that kind of stuff. yeah,
2: Yeah. 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 The Fiat and the Mercedes. Yeah. They, I, you know, and that's would be really hard to modernize and keep the character of it. I don't envy them in the, in the position that they're in, but yeah.
1: I guess like if New Zealanders are familiar with Lupin without having gone out and like looked for a bunch of it on purpose, what they're probably familiar with is Kaleostro, partly because it's like Miyazaki Hayao. It's, you know, the Studio Ghibli is famous. But also, um, I don't know if this is true in the States, but here um, Netflix got the entire Studio Ghibli back catalogue. So anyone with a Netflix subscription can watch all of Studio Ghibli's everything, including mm-hmm. Um So I think a lot of people have discovered it that way. And that's like reasonably kind of mischievous and cuddly um and and mamo is a fascinating contrast to that because it's uh significantly not cuddly
2: it like when um i was a teenager the the conception was kind of like if you like the lighter more family-friendly stuff it's always kelly Ostro. and if you want the darker more serious stuff it's always mamo in the interim since then uh, Takeshi Koike who did, like, Red Line and a bunch of other stuff. Um, he put out some schlocky, violent Lupin movies. And um, Sayo Yamamoto, who did Yuri on Ice, did a really good feminist miniseries on Lupin, too, that's also more adult. Um, that's really, really dark, but it's, I don't know, it's really a subversive feminist, like, experimental miniseries that nobody watched uh, that's really good. But yeah, and... Yeah, Lupin as a character in Caligostro is it's he's sort of like at the end of his career and he's nostalgic and looking back and it's kind of a movie about like doing right by other people and he's like this sweet hero. And then in Mamo, he's like a demon. He's like the id personified and what I like about Mamo in particular is I don't think the movie looks at him as like a hero or like glorifies anything that he's doing. He's a selfish, violent loser and you're trying to understand why other people like him. Whereas in like part two and some of the earlier 60s and 70s stuff, he does do like weird rapey things and he's still shown as cool. Whereas in Mamo, it's like, Ooh.
1: Yeah. I mean, he is definitely kind of rapey in Mamo. That, (laughs) that, That is definitely a reservation I would have about suggesting that someone watch it. Like if you have a, if you have a sensitivity around comedic sexual assault, you will have a a hard time with Lupin in this movie. But like the point that you made about pure id, there is a point where like they scan his brain in the movie and it is nothing but tits. For just like <laughs> yeah. minutes and minutes of just still frames of boobs, and I think well, Zenigata it's, it's... shows up in a sexy pose.
2: Yeah, that's also something that I find really interesting about the franchise the homoeroticism and the like weird implications of different things, especially with him and Jigen and him with Zenigata That varies a lot. That's not really in Callisto at all either. That it that's not a gay movie, but this one is like, oh, that's interesting. You go inside of your brain, and the cop who's chasing you is doing a pinup pose with boobs behind. <laughs> like, what is happening?
1: I, yeah i i i kind of i kind of like it though as a as a characterization of their relationship like Cagliostro sort of gives you the encapsulation of like the the nemesis who you sometimes have to work with because he's better than the alternative but they're like the the relationship is more kind of meaner and contentious uh like he he takes the piss out of Zenegato. Pretty constantly and, and uh, taunts him in in Mamo, but also mm-hmm. he ends up handcuffed to him in his underpants. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, it's like it's like spy versus spy with like a, a very weird personal intensity. And uh, something I always like to talk about when I talk about Mamo is that the character writing underneath all of the like explosive shalaki stuff is is very subtle. But it's really good. Like, there's a scene where the commissioner is talking to Zenigata and trying to get him off the case. Trying to get him to quit. And he's like, I can give you some money. Your daughter's in college, right? You could." T-. And he doesn't even, like, it- respond to that or acknowledge that he has, like, a family that he abandoned to chase this guy. And it's also, like, Jigen, the sharpshooter, like, second-in-command type character, quits being friends with Lupin because he's such a jerk. And then later on, eventually, he comes back to him and risks his life to try to save him. And it's like, he's obsessed with Lupin, but inside Lupin's head, he's not there. It's kind of sad. There's, like, all these different, like, weird – they're all drawn to each other and stuff. And, yeah, that – movie by movie, their relationship is really different. In the manga, they just kind of want to kill each other. But in this one, it is, like, Zinigar is, like, an insane bulldog who, like, is relentless and will not stop chasing him.
1: It reminded me almost of, like – like, the kind of – like 60s black comedy movies like um Mm -hmm. like a doctor strange love or something like that like you know this guy's got this completely hopeless goal and someone's offering him a way out of it and he just he just can't take it because he's worked himself into this position where the only thing that matters is catching this guy who's like he steals some expensive stuff but in terms of the world and the whole, like how much of a problem is Lupin the Third? Um, and yeah, like it. I guess that's another bit of the sixtiesness of it. But it, it really struck me that that conversation that they have.
2: It's also it's such a. It, it came out um, in the late seventies, and I do think *Strangelove* was definitely an influence on this movie, as was *Star Wars*, as was 2001 A Space Odyssey*, as probably was *Duel*. It references all the especially like the end. I don't know how much you want to like spoil stuff for uh, your audience. Look,
1: um, I, I do not believe in spoilers, particularly if movies are like 30, 40 years old. Um, you know, Mamo is not necessarily on everybody's radar, but it's not mm-hmm. impossible to find.
2: No, they just came out with the Blu-ray in the US at least. They, for the first time ever, I've had the DVD for like 15 years and they released it on digital, and it's also if you need to like find it, it's not hard. Yeah, it's easy to find. Um, but the giant brain floating in space is very like two thousand one, and the, the cloning is a big part of it. You know, like Dolly the sheep, and like the Henry Kissinger character, and like Americans just like bombing everything. All it's t- yeah, it's um, it's it's that stuff is in there along with a giant truck chasing them. And a helicopter chase into a sewer and and the giant brain exploding and stuff. I I don't know of any other films. Like, even if I wasn't a Lupin fan, I really like B-movies and crazy old action movies and stuff. That combines, like, the socio-political commentary with interesting characterization with such over-the-top set pieces that are just, like, one after the other. Like, they, they go to get the Philosopher's Stone... And within the first 15 minutes they find it and then it's not really plot relevant anymore. (laughs) They just move on.
1: Yeah. That's a a good point, actually. Like it, it crams in an enormous amount of stuff. There were, there Mm -hmm. were like at least two points where I was like, okay, but that's the end of the movie. And (laughs) why is there half of the runtime left? What's, um, and it's because they just had another thing that they wanted to do. Mm Hmm. Um, the other thing that you mentioned back towards the start of this conversation was like Scooby-Doo, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a fascinating thing to compare this with because it it really does like feel to me like R-rated Scooby-Doo. Like yes. th- the character designs are really goofy and weird um, in a good way. But, but you mm-hmm. know, th- it, it's not trying to draw photorealistic or even like, Anime stylized, good looking people. Everyone looks really kind of caricature-y. Um, mm-hmm. and they literally do the ja- the gag where people run in and out of the wrong doorways <laughs> across a hallway. Mm-hmm. But also, people are firing live ammunition against at, at each other. Like they they do the anime fight scene trope where someone gets their head cut up and then like it, the slices slide apart. It's actually a really cool shot
2: yeah the screen change yeah they do a weird like fourth wall break where the screen slices that's one that's there's a lot of cool experimental stuff like that in the movie yeah
1: um and those two tones sit together really strangely sometimes
2: the yeah, the beginning, um, Lupin is supposed to be dead or whatever, and then he gotta goes to like a Dracula castle to find him, and it looks straight out of Scooby Doo. It's like the blue back that that blue color. Then he's like going down the steps, of the, and Lupin's dressed like a vampire or whatever. And then later on, there is like the the rapey stuff. The Hitler's in the movie, Mamo as a villain, um, who I, I think he's based off of the guy in a uh, Phantom of the Paradise um i forget the paul williams i think the actor's name yeah Um, the
1: character's called swan i think i haven't seen the movie but it's one of these mm -hmm. movies that everyone talks about so
2: it's good i would recommend it i like if you like rocky horror type stuff it's good um like mamo's whole thing is very like intellectual this is not a children's movie his like whole thing of like controlling history and wanting to live forever that's very like i don't know highbrow villain stuff and then you have the most base monstrous uh, stuff with Lupin. So it it is like to me it gels, but I've been a fan of the franchise for so long and I came into it like I said with the 70s series, which is sort of like it's always sunny Scooby Doo sort of like petty pulpy heist stuff. It's less serious than this movie and less dark. Um that's how I came into it, but it is I I it's a rare mix of things whether or not it works for the individual viewer, it's really interesting to me how they put they threw everything in
1: the um the The take on um, Lupin and Fujiko's relationship was interesting as well, just because it's like, in so Fujiko, if people aren't familiar with it, is a woman who is sometimes part of the team and sometimes working against Lupin and her and Lupin have like an on and off relationship where sometimes they're lovers and sometimes he's trying to sexually assault her and sometimes she's trying to kill him. Um, and it, <laughs> exactly. and But in um, in Cagliostro, she she basically turns up at the end of the movie and blows a bunch of stuff up. And she's sort of, like, implied to be fond of Lupin, but their relationship doesn't get much exploration.
2: I think they've broken up in Cagliostro, or they don't really – she's moved on from him, I think, is sort of the implication.
1: But this this one gives you, like, the full range of things because, like – she comes in working for a rival group and like poisons them and tries to murder him a couple of times <laughs> yeah. by the end of the movie, they're pretty much about to screw in front of the main villain. Um, <laughs> and, and he like does super strange stuff, like use her boobs as a switch button. That's <laughs> really, yeah. really odd
2: there. And like, I'm not saying that it's a great portrayal of a female character or, like, some kind of, like, beautiful... Like I like I said, the Fujiko mini, uh, mini series is really good. It is, like, written by a woman, and it's very... Whatever. That's where I would go for that. But I do think she's interesting in the way that, like, D from It's Always Sunny is interesting to me. And that she's just as depraved as everybody else. And it's very rare in the series until, like, the 80s stuff, which I don't really like, that she's, like, a genuine damsel in distress she is in this movie but normally she's not normally she's pretending to be kidnapped so she can get one over on both Lupin and there's like weird mind games back and forth and she does have some agency and i it doesn't really necessarily make sense because he's such a monster but i do think it's interesting in this movie that she rejects immortality she's like i'd be bored I still want to be with Lupin. She's also like an adrenaline junkie. And they all just like make fun of Momo for being like small and ugly <laughs> they don't want to live forever. Which is interesting to me.
1: It's I mean, it's it it is notable that like she does end up needing to be rescued, but she gets into that situation because she's being like a, a high-stakes international mm-hmm. woman of mystery crime junkie, um, and and doing high-stakes like crime and murder jobs on people like she doesn't Mm -hmm. just uh get kidnapped or something she gets tricked with the promise of profit and eternal life Uh, and like that's pretty understandable if you consider her to be like as uh kind of id-driven and and depraved and and kind of insane as lupin is
2: she definitely is and i really like the 70s series and in that she's like obsessed with money like, it's very easy to get one over on her with, like, treasure or money because she's so shallow and that's what she cares about. They each have their one thing they care about. Which is, that's not... I'm not saying it's, like, progressive, but it it makes, like, there are so many other... Like, I really liked uh, Yu Hakusho as a kid, which is a in anime, and the love interest is like, she's nice and the same age as the boy. So, and it's like, that is so... Compared to something like that, which came out way later, Fujiko is way more interesting um, and it is a fun addition to the team and is not just, like... I don't know there and helpless or she's, she is very active in the story, even though eventually Momo just like keeps kidnapping her like over and over again. In this.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause you said, you know, like a major plot point is that um, Jigen and what's the samurai's name? Uh, Goemon. Goemon. So the, the kind of core team of Lupin's guys is Lupin himself, who is a master of disguise and also just kind of a loony tune compared to everybody else even though mm-hmm. the the show is quite, the, the movie is, the world is pretty Looney Tune anyway, but he's kind of like extra cartoony. Um, Jigen, who's a master gunman and Goemon, who's got a sword that can cut almost anything. Um, and who's a, a legendary swordsman. And the reason that they get mad with him is not just that he's a jerk. It's that he can't help getting involved with Fujiko. And she's always mm-hmm. trouble. Um, and that I thought that was interesting was that you know it's not just like uh, she's breaking up the band or you're you're not treating us right. It, she legitimately makes everything worse when she turns up. She paralyzes Lupin uh, almost immediately.
2: And it's also it's not like a uh, Yoko Ono type thing where they blame her. They bl- they're a hundred percent like Lupin. They, he promises them over and over. He's like I'm done with her, man. And then he you know he's lying. And that's such interesting like I said the interesting character writing because it's pretty rare in the series that they like split up or really fight like seriously have any kind of issues like that but yeah he's just like he's obsessed with her she's obsessed with Treasure Jigen's obsessed with him and Zeniga's obsessed with him and then Goemon's obsessed with training that's like they're like weird you know it's Goemon's sort of off on on the side there but yeah he keeps it, it, he's uh such an interesting character in how flawed he is of like he's a super thief and he's really smart and good at disguise but he works against his own self-interest and the self-interest of his friends like constantly and it has to be so frustrating but they can't help but try to come save him for some reason
1: (laughs) i'm having an excellent time uh talking to you about this it is however coming up on about the halfway mark and we do need to take a brief break for station messages so i will be
0: back uh talking
1: to shannon Strucci about the mystery of mamo right after this
0: if you enjoy this npr podcast please consider subscribing Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information.
1: And we're back. This is Reserved Recommendations, a radio show and podcast about great trash and difficult art um, produced by Manawatu People's Radio, a radio with the support of New Zealand On Air, so cheers for that, guys. Um, I'm talking to Shannon Strucci, uh, who is, like, a critic and general internet person, because you do, like, actual play, role-playing podcasts and dozens of other things, um, about the Lupin the Third movie, uh, Mystery of Mamo. The The thing that, like, immediately grabbed me when I started watching it um, was that the design is quite different from Cagliostro. And like looking at Monkey Punch, who's the, the guy who did the manga, looking at his art, it seems like it's closer to that. Like um, Studio Ghibli tidied everything up um, a bit or made it more their house style. But like the thing that immediately struck me is how hairy all of the dudes are. Uh, uh,
2: as a quick aside, this movie's actually pre-Ghibli or Cagliostro is pre-Ghibli rather. So he was doing it, I think, for like TMS or whatever or whatever the studio was. So it's even it was his first feature, and he had worked on the TV show as well, the Part Two, Part One and Part Two. So the sixties and seventies show, and you can tell when Miyazaki worked on an episode because his sort of like round, soft round faces. Um, yeah, this looks probably the closest to the manga out of any of the anime. There was like a pilot that kind of looks like it, and it's closer to that sort of like Mad Magazine Western style of art. I really like the art. Some of the character designs of side characters are too much. Like the Kissinger character has a tiny tiny face. <laughs> uh and, and that's kind of odd, but um I love the the range of movement of the characters, how like spindly they are and and how they're stylized and stuff and the sort of yeah, the the way it took from um western cartooning. I wish it took less of the like misogynistic rapey stuff, but I, I do like Mama's art style, and there, there are like a couple of episodes that are a little bit similar, or things that reference it, but it's the only property that has the specific art style, which I think sucks, because I think it's very nice.
1: There is a, there is a meme within like uh, Western people who watch anime talking about Naruto running. Um, and I would like to propose Lupin running as an alternative gate. They have this really specific run with like their arms kind of flopped out like wings are these tiny little spindly legs. Um, and I would, I would love to see people trying to replicate that. That would be hilarious.
2: Yes, that that would be good. It, it is like, it, uh, doesn't take itself too seriously, even with serious topics about like longevity of, of your like identity and identity and like, um, Something else I really like about it, and this was only because my friend uh, pointed this out to me, but like when Lupin at the end goes off the final time to go chase Momo, Jigen thinks he's going to get Fujiko, but really he can't get it out of his head that he might be a clone, and he's like, "No, I'm me, I'm myself. This is my." And Momo's like, "Are you?" And it's playing with his like ego, and I, and that's so interesting. Like f- again, for a schlocky movie that has some really strange, offensive stuff in it, that's so cool, and it's something that I didn't notice like until I had watched it a bunch of times. It's like, oh, he doesn't really care about Fujiko. He has to prove to himself that he's the real, hit, you know, and that's really cool to me. Yeah, Even no, though they sort of dropped that <laughs> plot point too.
1: I mean, they they sort of do. They sort of set it up at the start a little bit with the with the opening where someone with Lupin's silhouette get, gets executed, but it's it's really underdeveloped. You know, there's mm-hmm. just like there's someone gets hanged in silhouette. And then there's the bit with Zenigata going into the Scooby Doo castle, and so it, <laughs> like it takes a while for you to go like, what was the point of that whole maybe Lupin got executed thing? Like, mm-hmm. who executed him? Why? Why does it matter? Otherwise, it just seems like it it uh, serves the purpose of introducing you to the like the idea that maybe this is a Dracula episode of Lupin. Mm-hmm.
2: It only comes up later when Mama's like, "I killed. Who was it that I killed? You'll never know." And he's like, "No, I, I'm me." You know, it's sort of like pathetic, yeah. And it's sort of like he's fighting God by being really annoying. And <laughs> I like that aspect of the movie a lot too. That's his whole thing in this movie, by just being petty and annoying and bringing God down to his level, essentially, and then killing him at the end.
1: I mean, yeah, no, that's, that's, that would be the, because they, you know, they sort of play with how powerful um, Mamo is. Uh, They sort of, Lupin kind of guesses that there's a trick behind it, but they play with the idea that he can, like, cause earthquakes and all of these, Mm -hmm. like, cosmic terrors. And so they're sort of, like, hinting for a while that, that Mamo might functionally be a god, and Lupin is this horrible little rat cat man <laughs> trying to defy it
2: yeah just through like ingenuity and stubbornness and violence i uh needless violence too i really like the scene it's like a bunch of Momo's doctors and scientists are on the screen, and they've like they're like we figured out the philosopher's stone or whatever. And Lisbon comes with a mallet and smashes the camera. But it's implied he just like killed them all with a mallet <laughs> for like no reason, but to be petty and mean. And there's no other. I would say there's no other incarnation of him outside of the manga that is like that violent. Even in the darker stuff, he's usually more like calculating or reserved or whatever. And then this, it's just like a full out war on Momo's like Caribbean island.
1: Yeah, I the the other thing that struck me, and I'm, I mean, this is sort of a, a genre trope that I think they're leaning into, but like it's it's really interesting to me that they're starved of resources when the movie thinks it's interesting for them to be, but also they can just kind of get anywhere and do any anything that the movie would think would be fun, and they can have like one of the early bits stealing the Philosopher's Stone, Jigen and Lupin have this like incredibly uh, elaborate system of scaffolds with like little <laughs> measurements on it for crawling through a laser grid, um, which, you know, if you think about it for more than five seconds, it has to be bespoke and cost mm-hmm. just like thousands and thousands of dollars. And that that was no object, you know, like that was totally fine. Um <laughs>
2: And later on, they're like, oh, no, we don't have any food or water.
1: <laughs> uh, I just like, I guess that's probably a James Bond thing. Like, uh, people who do covert stuff get to have cool gadgets. But I just found it interesting, was all.
2: In, in some other series, you see Lupin in his room, like, tinkering with plans and stuff. But that's, it's the dependent on the writer. And I guess how interesting they think that is, versus like, yo, he just pulls that out of his jacket, whatever he need you know, it's Bugs Bunny rules, uh, sometimes, especially in this movie.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Um, leaning into the Dracula thing, like he escapes from the is it from the castle where where Zenegata finds him? Um, but mm-hmm. on this like insane batwing hang glider thing. Um, which like it it's fully a, a Dracula themed Scooby Doo episode for a fairly long way.
2: And Lupin's the villain. <laughs> He's the bad guy. He's got this weird umbrella. Yeah, it's like an umbrella that opens up into bat wings. And I love the implication, too. He pretended to be dead for a year, then invited Zenigata to a Dracula castle with a fake dead body of him dressed as Dracula to throw up just to mess with Zenigata. He could have just sent him a letter that said, I'm still alive, but he did this like weird, elaborate mind game thing. Just for their their relationship and the audience's entertainment, because it doesn't. If you stop and think about it at all, it's like, why did he do that? Except for to be annoying.
1: <laughs> no, I mean that's exactly right, and I guess like that's the that's why he he has flashes of Zenigata in a in a pinup pose. because mm-hmm. um, you get the sense that at least this version of Lupin could get like everything that he ever wanted, and he would still need to fuck with Zenigata. Just because Mm -hmm. he needs Zenigata to be after him in order for that to be complete.
2: Yeah, there's a part three episode, the 80s series, where like Zenigata gets fired and he's depressed and doesn't keep chasing it you know he's just sort of like wandering around sad and Lupin disguises himself and like mugs him at knife point to get him back like they do their relationship is really weird there's like a lot of different things where zeniga tries to quit or he actually does catch Lupin, and he's super depressed and becomes like an alcoholic and has like a crisis of identity so they're they're so wound up in each other this and the, the show will compare that to Lupin's relationship with fujiko like that's a textual comparison, even if it's not always like overtly homoerotic or homo romantic or whatever, there's a pretty constant like implication of like the, the same way that this guy is obsessed with this guy. It's the, you know,
1: it's, it's actually like, um, you know, the, the episodes of, I think Tom and Jerry did it. I think mm-hmm. road runner and the coyote did it. And I think Tweety bird did it like all of those like Warner Brothers Looney Tunes shorts where there's uh, like two animals that try and kill each other. There's always <laughs> like one episode where it actually works and the other guy doesn't know what to do. It's it's that mm-hmm. translated to slightly more fleshed out characters.
2: The, yeah, Monkey Punch said that uh, Lupin and Zenigata were inspired by Tom and Jerry. Like he talked to that. I guess that was pretty popular in Japan at the time. And that that was one of the influences too, along with like Spy vs Spy and stuff. And and they're like adult living, breathing human people, which makes it stranger. Oh, yeah, and, and you talked before about, like the, um, like, the body hair they have. I love that and, like, the detail on their watches and, like, guns and cigarettes and stuff. And there is, like, a really, really interesting aspect of the show to, like, masculinity and femininity and, like, the way bodies are represented to me. Because, like, in modern animation, anime, everyone's, like, very hairless and there's, like, not a lot of detail. And I just... I don't really know... I haven't quite formulated something more articulate about it, but it is cool that they have it. And also I'm a really big one piece fan and Oda also draws like, leg hair on most male characters. It's like, that's something, I mean, in in real life, people have that. That's like a part of their bodies and it's not something to be like ashamed of or get rid of. It's strange that it's not, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, so this is getting like abstract and nerdy, but like Mm -hmm. a, a long time ago when it wasn't, Easy to find much anime or manga in New Zealand. I got a book out the university library, which is called "Samurai from Outer Space," which was like an attempt to explain manga to a Western audience in a somewhat scholarly way. And what they mm-hmm. were talking about is the one of the things they talk about is the way that detail gets like added or omitted in manga to like draw your attention or or make it slide off something. And I can see how like um Miyazaki's uh Lupin designs do make it much more easy to just kind of deal with the character whereas like Zenigata and Lupin both having like these massive zigzags of black hair on the backs of their <laughs> hands and and like mm-hmm. being quite uh i guess like almost I wanna say gross but not gross. Um
2: They're like barrel.
1: Yeah, like like animalistic <laughs> like that. Makes mm-hmm. it, it it you you have to kind of imagine being around these like hairy, probably kind of sweaty, like <laughs> very mm-hmm. physically strange guys. And it it means that they're a little bit, I guess, off putting and also um they're more um like eccentric adults than they are um sort of cartoon heroes
2: Mm -hmm. that is yeah the the miyazaki versions of the characters are very smoothed over and and good. like in some ways it's good it's just it's apples and oranges to me i love caliostro too and i don't think there are some people in the lupin fan community discourse or whatever who think caliostro like cheapens it or is like too like not whitewashed, but like toned down. I'm like, no, they're just different. They're both good. It's fine. Don't, how can you hate Kali Ostro? How can you hate Hayao Miyazaki's first feature film? That is like this beautiful Testament to like love and like solidarity with different types of people. I
1: mean, obviously these, these people are not having an argument with me and I'm not going to, to find them and, and have that argument. But I guess the <laughs> argument I would make if I, if I was gonna is that when you have a character that becomes sort of um mimetic and has enough uh versions like Batman or Lupin or like Robin Hood or James Bond, mm-hmm. then you can kind of you can kind of use them whatever way you want. Um because what you're doing is you're saying, okay, well here's the things that we know about Lupin. I'm gonna use those elements to tell a story about this thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's no reason that you can't say well, what if a, what if the world's best thief was wistful at the end of his career? Like that, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. that's perfectly acceptable. And you can also say, well, why don't we just tell a story about the wacky hijinks he got up to in the middle of his career when he was like mm-hmm. a raging perv who also pretended <laughs> to be a cat sometimes? Um, like, yeah, I like I I can see those things being harmonized quite easily in terms of the way that. People just kind of pick up characters like that and, and use them.
2: And I think it it's a lot of why I got so into the series um, during COVID when I was like bored is because there, there were like 50 Lupin movies and a lot of them are bad. And it was kind of like playing a slot machine, you know, like the intermittent reinforcement thing of I'm watching a Lupin movie with my friends. Okay, is this going to be good? Is Hitler going to be in it again? And we have to deal with that? Is it going to be rapey? Or is it going to be surprisingly like, wow, this was like really interesting or had a cool story or cool ideas. And you even looking at other people's reviews, you never really know. Whereas, like I said, I really like One Piece, which has just been consistently good for like 20 years that I've read it. That's good too. But there's also something more interesting in a way about a series that is objectively worse because <laughs> it has the high highs are so high and the low lows are so low and it's fun and yeah it, it differs tonally along with that as well
1: i mean it 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 lets you see how how i don't know it, it kind of becomes a litmus test for the people who are handling the character because mm-hmm. you can see like what they think is cool or interesting or worth exploring about lupin and that I guess tells you more about them than it tells you about Lufan. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. I can I can see that that, that would be interesting. And it, I mean, I I am not committed enough to do so. But I'm sure you could have a similar experience by going like, I want to read a bunch of different runs on Batman, or like, mm-hmm. why is this X Men different from this other X Men, or or whatever the thing is. Like anything where pe- enough people have, have had a, a shot at it.
2: I think it's cool, and it's, like, I enjoy that kind of, like, meta-analysis of media I'm consuming as, like, a critic or just someone who's a big nerd about that kind of stuff. And Lupin is very fruitful in that. And there's some of it I end up just hating it. Some of it is just really, really bad, unfortunately. But then, yeah, you get... Like I said, I would to anyone listening to this, I'd recommend the Woman Called Fujiko Mine uh, miniseries, although that one handles, like, childhood sexual assault and rape and stuff. But it's... For grown-ups, it's, like, good... (laughs) And it has art designs by Takeshi Koike, um, and he did his own spin off movies that are really stupid. I like them too, but it's like they, it has his really cool art, and like a really smart woman wrote it and like directed it. So that that's uh, something that's like, wow, I'm really happy this exists. Along with Mama, which is more, you know, clearly written by uh, men in the 70s, or like Caliostro, which is like. And the way Fujiko is represented is so different in all these things. Like. Fujiko and Miyazaki stuff is like what a cool badass who always has a machine gun. It's like that says a lot about him too, <laughs> about what his you know preferences are.
1: Yeah, I mean you can you can uh, you can get a pretty clear idea of uh, of the kind of woman that that miyazaki likes to represent at least if you if you kind of sample across of his movies there are an awful lot of like badass grandmas with big guns and like (laughs) uh mobs of henchmen who are her surrogate children who she bosses around (laughs) like there's an awful lot of that kind of archetype and you can see how like his fujiko could then age into one of those like quite easily yes
2: he also he did um One of the last episodes of part two he directed uh, is called Wings of Death Albatross, and it's really good. And Fujiko gets kidnapped by this guy who I think is the prototype for Dr. Eggman from Sonic. And she ends up like he's got her chained up and she's like naked and stuff. But then she steals stuff to cover herself and then she's just like running through the plane, shooting people. And it's like it's again, it's the same thing. It's like I I see what you're. It's cool though. I I I like it and it's interesting compared to some other like some of the one of the koike movies. There's just a I don't even want to talk about it. There's like a really horrific sexual assault scene with Fujiko that's like this didn't this came out in like 2014. This didn't need to happen. Why is this? I think a producer forced it. I like I said I don't even. It's like very strange too. I don't even want to like talk about it. It's like there are fan cuts of that it's called Jigen's Gravestone. There are fan cuts of that movie that just take that out. Cuz sometimes like I said in the miniseries, it's like, "Oh, this is necessary. This is part of the plot. It's an ex- interesting examination." And this is like, "This did not need to exist. <laughs> this is very strange that you put this in here, man."
1: Yeah, I mean I mean like the the producer meddling is a is an interesting lineup because it suggests like well, like you said there there are there are people who think that that Kalia you know doesn't doesn't fit with the rest of it mm-hmm. and and i wonder if that is in part driven by some sort of like anti-wokeism thing about i want i want my lupin extra rapey or, or something <laughs> um and mm-hmm. like it feels to me like some element of that skeeviness is probably baked in just because of the of the 1960s of it all like mm-hmm. uh i it would It would be very difficult for me to conceptualize a bond that is in no way grody in its sexuality, like I, I can't I can't see how that would work just because it's such a part of a DNA of the franchise. and I, I similarly like the sort of roguish playboy thing fundamentally has some stuff about treating women not great. And so, mm-hmm. like, it feels like some of that's always going to be in there, and how you choose to reckon with it is important. But I could also, I, so I could also see people, and people do this with Bond, going, "I, I just think it would be nice to have a big watch and be mean to women." <laughs> like, and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, like, you, you can't just like magic those people out of being able to perceive art. Um, it would be nice, but.
2: That's one thing I really like about the miniseries, because it's about, I mean, there's a billion different versions about how they all meet each other, but in that it's Fujiko's perspective, and this just like insane man comes into her life, who's like really chaotic and kind of scary, and she doesn't know if she can trust him, and that's how Lupin, it's like you're seeing him through her eyes, and he is being that character, and it's not cute, he's not like horrible in it. Luckily, but it's like it's not it's weird. It's creepy. It's like, who is this man who's like blowing up my life? And why is he obsessed with me? Um, And then they end up by the end of it. They're like friendly with each other or whatever. Uh, So you can do, I think, good and interesting things with that. Um, And I also, like I said before, I appreciate that Momo, when Lupin is doing those things, it's played as a joke, but it's not played as like suave. Or even necessarily funny is very off-putting, and cre- it's like this is not a good dude.
1: Yeah, no, <laughs> he's like not a hero. I, I, I talked about like cartoony sexual assault, and uh, so content warning: I'm about to describe an episode of cartoony sexual assault. But there is a point, like he's trying to uh, get into beds with Fujiko, and he does that by like taking off his clothes, and then like levitating in the air and diving out of his boxer shorts into where he thinks she's going to be. And as well as being like, what if the Looney tunes were R rated? Like he's not, Drawn is like a good-looking dude being suave, he's like well, a weird toad man with skinny limbs <laughs> and this blob body, all and he covered has an in.
2: Axe. He knocks down the door with an axe first, too. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and it's like nothing about it is suave. He's he's pure id, and he gets. I, I can't remember how she gets out of it. Whether she like just dodges or or. She
2: like drugged him or something.
1: Oh, yeah. In she, his food. She drugs him reasonably often in, in Mamo. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, you know, it's it's not presented as um, this is the guy who gets all the girls. It's presented as like, this is this uh, weird, driven, lecherous goblin thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, which I think is so, it's so interesting. And he is not really, like you uh, want to root for him against Mamo in the movie, but he's not likable either. I feel like this is so rare in... Uh, films that I've watched that he is like a disgusting little toad man. He's not really a charm. You can't say he's charismatic or charming, but he is fun to watch and you want to see where he, you know, and that's when, when you're asking me about stuff that I would sort of recommend with a caveat or like, it's like I, if anyone has any problem with uh, Hitler being in a movie and the main character knee jerk saluting him uh, as a joke.
1: That is a thing that, that is a joke that they put in and it does bear mentioning that one of the things that Mamo is doing and they sort of like fudge initially whether he's like grabbing historical figures out of time because he might be God or whether he's cloning them. I think it turns out that they're clones, but he, mm-hmm. uh, Lupin runs into first Napoleon and then Hitler while he's sneaking through a castle. Um, and his, his knee jerk response, he doesn't have a response to Napoleon, but his knee jerk response to Hitler is to literally Heil. Um, and that, that is very uncomfortable. Then, like, Mamo's explanation for what he's doing is that he's got the greatest minds from history. <laughs> from history uh, yeah. The fact that he's gone, like, well, obviously I need to have Hitler because he was <laughs> yeah. so good at stuff um, is also kind of uncomfortable to sit with.
2: Yeah, and that that is a big thing, watching the 70s series. And I think other 70s anime, too, probably, is that Japan's relationship with Germany is very different from the US's. And they are more laissez-faire with that kind of stuff uh, than I think any American media would be. And sometimes it's really uncomfortable, or it's like, wow, gosh. I think part of the joke in that scene is that Lupin is kind of pathetic and cowardly, but it's still, you know, uncomfortable and weird.
1: Um, yeah, and I, I mean much as I don't want to be fair to them about it, because it's a really weird thing to do. Like mm-hmm. Heil Hitlering is gross, but it's also instantly visually recognizable. And it's hard to say what you would do in response to Napoleon. That would be like an obvious immediate visual mm-hmm. sight gag, like, um, like stick your hand in your shirt maybe, but like, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't translate the same way. Uh, so I can mm-hmm. see why they did it, but it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't really land.
2: It's very, it's, those are the two things I always warn people about with this movie. It's the, all the sexual assault stuff. And I was like, there also, there's Hitler in it. So be And and if, if someone said, Oh, then I don't want to watch it. Then I'd be like, cool. Th- there was something, there's a part two episode from the 70 series. That's terrible. It's like a Holocaust survivor is the bad guy. There's no, ex- it's like, really 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 bad without wasting time going into it it's like i was so uncomfortable watching it and i was talking about it on twitter and then someone else was like oh well then i won't support that i don't like and i'm like that's cool but like monkey punch is dead and this stuff is like 60 years old or whatever that's that's totally cool you don't want to but like you're not actively the man who wrote the the originated this has been dead for a while everyone who worked on this is probably dead almost like it's it's not even, I say it's of its time, it's particularly terrible for its time, but be like, oh, well, I'll take a stand and not support this. I'm like, that's cool, but also, I don't really know what you're doing if it's just like this obscure 70s anime and you're, yeah.
1: Yeah, you could, you could, like, it's kind of like, it's fun to argue about the politics of Batman, but Batman is older than most people who are alive. Yeah. So uh, you're not going to hurt it.
2: Um, yeah, you're not gonna really change the flow of this thing either way. But yes, yeah, some of the series is even much like I would say significantly worse than uh, the movie without going into it. It's just like I said, it's like a slot machine, and and some of it is interesting as a westerner, like a modern westerner, to like try to understand and interpret it uh, in good faith. And then other times I'm like, this is wretched, <laughs> this is horribly offensive, and I'm uncomfortable.
1: I mean, it it is an interesting. Th- it's a, it's always an interesting to, thing to see culture that you're familiar with like recontextualized and reflected Mm -hmm. back at you um i remember going uh when i was back when i was at university the the student christian association would do a fundraising thing where they would resell like people's textbooks they didn't need anymore like way cheaper than you get them new and so you'd go into their hall that they had set up and because they were uh, a deliberately international organization bringing in international students, they would have things like Indian Jesus posters where Jesus and all the Bible characters are obviously Indian and that was fascinating <laughs> and similarly, seeing like all of these euro spy tropes taken into a Japanese context and recycled and then put out again like it 's really interesting to see what Monkey Punch took from that and what what other people took from that and then like what they think it's about and, and how they present mm-hmm. that.
2: And it's, I particularly like that this movie is so unkind and unflattering to Americans. <laughs> it's really like, especially of the time, especially when the Kissinger character, the Gordon character, the like random FBI guy or whatever, he's like, yeah, kill Gordon, kill everybody. It, just like bomb him, bomb him, bomb him. It's like, yeah, that's fair. I get that. It, it's fun. And um, depending on which dub you watch, the the person doing the president does a different impression like I think the Ginny on dub, it's a George Bush impression. It might have been like a Kennedy or Clinton. imprint there's four different English dubs for this movie. So like those are different. Like those came out in different time periods too. So like looking at it, it's just like culturally to me, this movie is very fascinating and like all the different iterations of stuff.
1: We are coming up on full time. I have had a excellent time discussing this movie, and thank you very much for putting me onto it. It is a wild ride. Um, if people have like. Patience and interest in in like seventies anime, I would recommend checking it out. Um it, it is definitely a thing in the way that like nineties anime is a thing. Like once you know nineties anime, you can spot mm. it. Um mm-hmm. and I feel like there is some there is some essential seventies-ness with this that like I'm gonna be seeing in other places now. Uh so I like to do two things by way of wrapping up. The first is uh do you have other things that you would recommend? I suppose the the Fujiko Mine series you've come back to a few times, but is there anything else?
2: Um, if people haven't seen Kelly Ostro, that that with Momo is good. The first is a CGI movie they did recently that also has Hitler in it. So, uh. but it's like a it's really really well animated, like Pixar style animation. Um, and uh, the Queque movie um, Goemon's Blood Spray is like a yakuza slasher movie with an American stereotype bad guy that's extremely violent. And it doesn't have any rapey stuff in it. So those are, like, the four. That's the stuff I would recommend, too. It's a fun franchise if you have a tolerance for these sorts of things.
1: Yeah, and and if you're a person who has, like, kids and often needs to watch stuff with kids, I would extra extra recommend Cagliostro because Mm -hmm. it is, like, very much the PG version of the character. But you still get the essential, like here's what all of the people are and their relationships and how they fit together. Um, Mm -hmm. You just get to see that toolkit used to tell this kind of wistful story about like uh, legacy and and living up to the things that you've done. Um, Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, The second thing is plug all of your stuff. Um, You have many, many things and people should look at them.
2: Thank you. Um, If you go on YouTube and you type in fake friends, parasocial, or uh, Strucci movies, S-T-R-U-C-C-I, you can find my YouTube channel. I haven't updated it in a while, but I am working on another video essay right now. I do have a review of Lupin the First, which is the CGI movie. Um, I'm also a player on the Southern Gothic comedy horror podcast, Oddity Roadshow, which if you just Google Oddity Roadshow, you find that. And I'm a co-host of the special topics mini-series on the one piece podcast called fight together, where we talk about like colonialism or like queer representation, like more serious adult topics in one piece on that. I would highly recommend that too. We get people on who actually know about those things and we're like, Oh, that's really interesting. And listen to them talk <laughs> when we do it. So that's most of the stuff I have going on.
1: Excellent. And also um, if people like things that have like beginnings, middles and ends, there is another series which the name has just gone out of my head for, we played a superhero role-playing game. Oh yeah, Critical Bits. Critical Bits, that that that's the one which Break. which is, like, completed now, so people can go mm-hmm. all the way through beginning and middle and end of that one if they want to. That
2: one was fun, too.
1: You've been listening to Reserved Recommendations, a radio show and podcast from Manawatu People's Radio, Today on O Manawatu. The show was produced and presented by me, Hugh Dingwall, and I also composed our theme music, it's called Sack Jazz, and you can find it at wolfboy.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this show, why not go ahead and share it with a friend? You can find the last ten episodes at npr.nz/show/reserved, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you want an episode older than that, try searching for "reserved recommendations" on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at Objective Realty, or you can follow the show on Facebook. And finally, Two People's Radio is a non-profit community access station. If you like this or any other piece of their fine audio programming, why not fling them a dollar or two, you can go to npr.nz slash donate for more information on how to do that.